Thank you. I, you don't mind I left the coat over there, do you? All right. Good. All right. Well, it's great to be back tonight. Uh, a few of church members away on vacation, I guess, but uh, we always fellowship together and minister to those who are here. So I'm glad you're here. And I hope you've had a good week. Um, you know, it's been a rough week for some Christians around the world. Uh, you're aware of what's happening in Israel and Gaza, and you know there are, there are Christian believers who live there. In fact, one of our students who just graduated is planning on going to minister in the Gaza Strip, right there, right near Israel. He's actually studied and spent time there and wants to go and be a witness. And uh, folks, suffering quite a bit. Uh, it's been a difficult week for believers in Iraq. Did you know there are a lot of Christians in Iraq? Um, in fact, uh, one of our graduates grew up in Baghdad, Iraq, became a believer. His family left Iraq, went to Turkey, then to Canada, and then eventually to the United States. And um, he's a U.S. citizen now and serving the Lord as a missionary. But in Iraq, they are now seeing uh, a very, very radical group, so radical that Al-Qaeda didn't recognize them. You can imagine that. And they now call themselves the Islamic State. And they've given Christians in Iraq an option. Repent and declare that you're a Muslim. Or leave the country. Or option three, prepare to die. That's happening right now, this week. Um, so there's a lot of challenging things happening for Christians. Um, a little closer to home, I got an email late last night. Please pray for the folks at Metro Baptist Church in San Diego. Uh, their pastor, a gentleman I know, had met several times, uh, had had a heart attack. And an hour later, I got another email that he'd been promoted to glory. And so that church was without a pastor very unexpectedly this morning. And uh, another minister from the area went to be with the church. And, you know, things just, lots of things can happen. And uh, life can be challenging and difficult. And I don't know what your weeks of late have been like. None of us knows what the future will be. But maybe uh, some members of the church family have really had a tough time. Maybe there's been somebody you know who's uh, been facing a really difficult time at work or a difficult time with a family member. Maybe somebody's really facing a serious illness. And, you know, the reality is that as believers living in the world that we do, we are not guaranteed of having a comfortable life. We would all like to have a comfortable life. We would all like to make plenty of money so we would never have to worry about paying the bills. Never, We'd have lots of creaturely comfort items. We'd all, we'd all like to be forever free from illness or disease. We'd all like to be exempt from being impacted by crime or other sinful acts by unbelievers. We'd all love to have that kind of a life. But unfortunately, we don't always get to have it that way. What I'd like us to think about tonight is we don't get to choose a comfortable life, but we can claim the promises that God has promised to give us comfort in this life. Even if we don't have it easy, we can have peace and comfort and grace, no matter how challenging the circumstances we face. Um, you know, you never know what, what a doctor's appointment's going to result in. You never know what driving down the freeway is going to result in. But the fact is, no matter what challenges or difficulties we face, we know we face them with the comfort and grace of the Lord. 
So I, I don't know personal circumstances for all of you, but um, because we don't know our future and we don't know what others will face, it's a good thing to reflect on God's promises, good thing to reflect on God's truth. What I'd like you to do with me tonight is to look in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Since I work at a seminary, we have elective classes and we have required classes. I'll just tell you plain and simple. If suffering and hardship was an elective class, guess how many of our students would sign up? If suffering and hardship was an elective class, how many of you would sign up? Not me. We don't like that. You know, we just say, eh, you know, if I have to. Uh, and the fact is, sometimes we have to. God sometimes allows suffering and hardship in our life, but He uses it to strengthen us and to purify us so that we can come forth like gold out of a furnace. Suffering and hardship, however, if we don't respond the right way, can cause us to become discouraged, to become weak, to have doubts, to allow bitterness to creep into our hearts. Uh, you probably have heard this guy's name. Have any of you heard of a fellow in the Old Testament named Asaph? Now, he's not quite as well known as Moses and Joshua. Okay, but Asaph actually wrote one of the Psalms. And David didn't write all of them. But Asaph basically in Psalm 73 asks this question. He says, why do the wicked prosper? I was getting really discouraged. I felt like giving up and throwing in the towel. How come they can live any way they want, wicked and sinful, and it seems like nothing bad happens to them. It seems like they get everything they want. Have you ever felt like that? You know, here I'm trying to do what's right, and they look like they're the ones getting ahead. Or a, another fellow you probably have heard of, his name is Job. No, not Job. Job. Right. So Job, he asked a very similar question. In fact, I was just listening last night while I was walking the dog, listening to in the book of Job. And, and you could summarize his questions this way. Why do the righteous suffer? His friends told him, it's very simple. You're not righteous, Job. Just fess up and get it over with. You know you've done wrong or these bad things wouldn't be happening to you. So just admit that you've sinned. He said, how can I admit to something I haven't done? I have a heart that's right before God. And they said, Job, you're, you're dreaming. If bad things are happening, you must have done wrong because a good God wouldn't allow bad things to happen to you. So fess up and get it over with. And he said, I know I've been righteous. So if I'm suffering and I've been righteous, how come the righteous suffer? And you know, in those words are different words. We probably all asked similar questions like that. And the Apostle Paul is writing to his dear friends at Corinth. They obviously caused him some grief, but he, still they were very dear friends. And he wrote to them, and he, he wanted to make sure that they understood this so he could protect them and equip them to be able to live an effective Christian life. He couldn't promise them a comfortable life. They're believers living in a sinful world. But he could point them to God's promise for life, which is comfort comfort in our hearts. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 
chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We want to look at two, two parts. The first part we want to look at is verses 3 through 7. All right? And then we'll finish up looking at verses 8 through 11. But in these verses, we can see that there is comfort for God's people. Even though God doesn't promise us an easy life, He does promise to give us peace and comfort throughout our life. And what we'll see here in these verses is He lays out some principles. All right? So we're going to see teachings, principles that we can latch on to, things we can say, yes, I know that that is true. I know that principle and we'll keep it in our minds as we go through life. So let's look at the first of those principles. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The first thing he says, Paul is reminding them that God is the source of comfort. I mean, we're not not to look for things that fail and falter and flee away. We're to look to the eternal God is our source of comfort. Blessed, or let's praise the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is described then as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I mean, any mercies, any comfort that flows to us in life comes out of the Lord. The Lord grants that great gift to us. In fact, we know that it is a part of each and every person of the triune Godhead, this this matter of being a comforter. Uh, We're probably most familiar with John 14 where it says that the comforter will come. Talking about the Holy Spirit. He's called that paraclete. Not parakeet, paraclete. means the one who's called alongside of us. He has come alongside to minister to us, to comfort us. That's the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, note that word, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know that word advocate? It's the same Greek word, comforter. We have an advocate, only in this case, imagine a courtroom. And our advocate, we're standing here before the judge and feeling really pretty bad as we've heard all the testimony. And Jesus Christ comes alongside of us to defend us, to give an answer that they are protected and viewed as righteous because of me and what I've done for them. So He's our advocate. He comes alongside of us to defend us. And in the the Old Testament, it talks about God the Father. Probably some of the most famous verses in in the Old Testament, verses that we uh, actually sing songs to. Jeremiah, Lamentations, a book written by Jeremiah, chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, Lamentations, excuse me. Lamentations 3. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. I mean, we know that the Lord's loving kindness, that He comes alongside of us to comfort us, to give mercy to us in our life. 
So God is the source of comfort. It flows out of God's very nature to those who are the, His children. If you look in, in the last part, back to 2 Corinthians, in verse 4, you can see another principle. We've already blessed God because He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4 says that God who comforts us in all our affliction. God who comforts us in all our affliction. And look at verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. The fact is that believers are the object of God's comfort. God, in a unique and special way, looks at His children, those whom He's chosen to place His love on, those whom He's chosen to put His favor on, and He makes them the object of His comfort. He wants to minister to our needs so that it glorifies Him. And He could do that in one of a couple different ways. I mean, sometimes God will deliver us from our trials. You know, that God would would spare us from having to go through it, that God would stop the trial, or God would divert us away from it, and we don't have to experience it. But more often it seems that God delivers us through our trials, that He changes our character and attitudes instead of changing the circumstances of life, that God says, I'm going to let you go through it, but you're not going to go through it alone. Whether it's a physical illness or whatever it is, that God takes us through that trial. We are the special object of His comfort. He comforts those who are facing affliction. We know that He does that with the general needs of life, like food and shelter and clothing. We know that He helps us with physical issues that seem to be affecting us and we could be discouraged by them. I mean, we see that in Second Corinthians, the same book where Paul said, I pray that the Lord would take this thorn in the flesh away from me, this thing that was sent from Satan to torment me. I prayed, and I prayed again, and I prayed again. And guess what? God didn't take it away. But God did give him grace sufficient for his every need. And he rejoiced in that grace. Sometimes, and in this particular passage, it's more specifically related to trials that we face because we are living for and serving Christ. Look at verse 5 again. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. The sufferings of Christ, that means just like Jesus Christ suffered when He lived here among the sinful earth because He was the object of scorn from sinful people and He died on the cross so that He might take care of the sin debt of sinful people, just in the same way we face the scorn, the ridicule of unbelievers, that the sufferings of Christ abound in us. But in the same way, God works in us and His comfort also is abundant. Um, Didn't even enjoy like hobbies, craft hobbies? Any of you hands-on crafts? Y'all collect stamps or coins or watch TV for a hobby? You like? Oh yeah, you got. I got all the channels. Like, all right, good, good. Man, you should see me snap those buttons. All right. Um, I I I enjoy hands-on kind of things. I mean, I, I enjoy backpacking, canoeing. I enjoy the outdoors. 
for me, the more remote, the better. Um, but I also enjoy hands-on things. I enjoy, I am not certainly not a, a, a master handyman or a craftsman, but I enjoy building things. Uh, I enjoy remodeling things, uh, even if it's a simple project. Today, I enjoyed getting out and getting my hands dirty in the garden, pulling some weeds and, and pulling off the precious fruit of the vine, you know, the, the cucumbers or the green peppers or the tomatoes today. In fact, today was all of three of those. I enjoy those kind of hobbies. But one of the things I enjoy doing is working with wood. And again, I'm not a, a, a craftsman, but I can remember I was always fascinated by that stuff. And my dad didn't do anything with mechanical things. That just wasn't him, you know. But I got to take a class in eighth grade called wood shop. And I, I can remember that class to this day. Mr. Millard was my teacher in eighth grade. And I can remember some of the different projects that we would make. I made a free-form dish. I, I got to do all sorts of stuff. One of the things that I enjoyed the most was the lathe. You know what a lathe is? It's a machine that goes around real fast, turns in circles, and you can attach different objects to it. You can do metal or wood, and then you can use different tools, and you can carve shapes. Because it's going around so fast, you, you can just put a little bit of pressure and zoom, it'll just chop a bunch of wood right off. So I can remember making this one project. It was uh, You had to make uh, some kind of thing you could u take home and use in the home. So I made this bowl, and I glued a base on, and I glued the main piece of wood on, and I glued paper in between and another piece of wood on that was going to be the lid. And so I, I, I screwed that all to the base and put it on the lathe, and started it going around, and I got my, my, my working bench out, and I got those gouges and chisels out, and, and I, I ground it down to where it had a nice round shape. It's going around in circles two or 3,000 times a minute, and I just got it all nice into a nice carved shape. Then I took the top off, because I'd carved the top as well as the sides. I take, took that piece of paper, and I split it off so the top is off now. And I turned around, and with my tools, I started working on the middle. And I started gouging a hole into the middle of that thing, and slowly I worked out until that hole got wider, until it got deeper. Now, I don't know if a block of walnut has feelings, but if it did, it would have been screaming. Because my goal was to make that is have as large an opening as I possibly could. Now, you've got to remember, I was in eighth grade. So my goal was to make the biggest candy dish I could out of that block of wood. Started just a big lump square piece of walnut. By the time I was done, I had chiseled and gouged and thinned it down to where it had thin sides and a deep bottom. And then I could take it off the lathe and smooth sand it out, put that lid back on, put a knob into the hole, and I could take home a candy dish. But here's, here's the principle. The deeper I made that bowl, the harder I worked on it, the more hurt I put to it, the deeper its capacity to hold things. And the reality is that the more God allows us to struggle and suffer, the greater our capacity to know His grace and comfort. People who never feel pain don't know what relief is. 
people who never experience affliction don't know how beautiful and satisfying comfort is. And folks, God allows us to experience trials and difficulties so we can know how beautiful grace is, how wonderful comfort is. Believers are the object of God's comfort. But it's not just enough that God gives us peace in the midst of our trials, whatever hard things we're going through. God doesn't just give us peace and grace and comfort in hard times. He also gives us a sense of purpose. I mean, if I was to ask, why am I going through a hard time? Why, why are you letting this happen to me, God? Why me? Do you know it might just be because God is equipping and preparing me to minister to somebody else who will face something just as hard, maybe more difficult. And the fact is, God is working in me to give me a greater capacity to understand His comfort, to trust His wisdom and love. Look at what it says in in, uh, verse 4. He comforts us in all our affliction so that... So that, here's the purpose so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know what God is doing when He allows trials? He is uniquely and powerfully equipping us for a personal ministry to others. We know that truth comforts and transforms. Just like in 1 Thessalonians where it says, comfort one another with these words. It's not that we ourselves as a person comfort them. It's the truth that we can share with them as believers who've seen it in our own lives. We share the truth about God's comfort and God's grace with them. And the truth transforms. But what this verse is reminding us of is that our lives, as we trust God through hard times, as we turn to Him and receive His comfort and grace when we go through trials, that that allows our life to become a living illustration of the truth. If you will, the truth is fleshed out. The truth puts on clothes. People can say, I get it. I can see it. I know what you went through and I hear what you're saying. And God is able to work through our testimony to point them to see the truth more clearly. Our struggles and our faithfulness in the midst of those struggles bring credibility when we share the truth. People will take note of it and they'll say, wow, I mean, if it was powerful enough to help you, then God's truth is powerful enough to help me. And I know that when I go through affliction, I need comfort and I believe that God keeps His promise and He will comfort me. I'm so thankful that He comforted you and you've shared that truth with me. I believe it. I can see it. I want to claim it and cling to it myself. The reality is that we we don't get to choose a comfortable life. For some of us, God gives more trials than others. But we can claim the promise that God gives comfort in life. Look at verse 8 through 11. Because here, the Apostle Paul kind of shifts focus. He, he changes gears. In, instead of talking about specific principles or truth statements that, 
that they can cling to. That God is the source of comfort. That believers are the object of comfort. And that believers become a conduit to communicate God's comfort to others. Here he shifts and he takes it to more of a personal picture, more of a testimony. It's almost as if Paul is saying, listen, this is not just talk. You know what I've had to go through. I've had to practice what I'm sharing with you now. And he reminds them of some things that Paul had to come to terms. Do I really believe that God is the source of comfort? Do I really believe that I, as a believer, am the object of that comfort? Do I really believe that God's not making a mistake when He allows me to suffer because He wants to equip me to minister to others? And look at Paul's testimony, verses 8 to 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, He in whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So let's just back up and walk through some of those verses. Now, obviously, Paul was a missionary. Paul was an apostle. He's a preacher. The point is not this only applies if you're a preacher or a missionary. Okay? Because he was a Christian first, and he endured these kinds of things before he became a missionary. He certainly endured them as a missionary. Really, we could say that this is for all those who are engaged in faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for all those who serve God all those who really want to live for the Lord, at one point or another in life, you're going to face some hard times. And in Paul's, first of all, in the beginning of verse 8 and 9, he says that those who serve God may experience a desperate need for God's comfort at some times in their life. I mean, a desperate need. I mean, we all know we all need God all the time, right? Every day, all throughout every day. I mean, we don't even realize all the things that we need God's help for. I mean, there are trials and temptations that we may only just be peripherally aware of. But still, there are, there are temptations and trials every day that we face. Sometimes, there are really tough days. Days when you wonder, how am I going to get through this? How will I ever move beyond this? Paul points back to a time period when he was going through things, he just really wasn't sure he was going to be able to get through. I mean, they were so hard. And my point is not to say these verses only apply if you have days like that. The point is, if God's wisdom and power is sufficient to strengthen and encourage somebody like the Apostle Paul going through as significant a trial as he describes, then his grace and comfort is sufficient for whatever we face in a given day or in a given week. Look, look what he says in verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of the affliction which came to us in Asia. All right? When you think of Asia, don't think of Japan and China. All right? Think Turkey. Think Syria. Because he went from Antioch of Syria up and around. They were in the seven churches of Asia Minor. 
That's modern-day Turkey. And then up north of that, we have crossed over into, into Europe. But we don't know specifically what happened, but we, uh, when he, what he's referring to here about Asia. But we do know that when he was in Ephesus, elsewhere in the Scriptures it describes that he had to face wild beasts. He faced an uproar in the city. And that uproar meant they were having a riot and he was at the center of it and they were ready to surround him. But the believers hid him and got him out of the city. They had to lower him, get him out of the city by night. Remember when he went into a city called Lystra, the city where Timothy was from, that he was stoned and left for dead? I mean, it's one of those bizarre days. First of all, they worship you as is Zeus and, and the other gods, him and Barnabas. And, and then when they say, no, 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 don't worship us. We're not gods. We're just men. We serve a creator and a living God. And then some people tried to stir trouble up. And the same day, they're stoning him and thought they'd killed him and left him by the side of the road. I mean, that would be a... I mean, talk about swings. I mean, leaving somebody for dead, that's a rough day. And when he was going through things like that, listen to what he said. Here's... Here's the indomitable, the, the Iron Man, the Apostle Paul. I mean, you think if anybody is super strong, could never, never be discouraged. The Apostle Paul, he was like super saint, you know. But listen to how he felt. I mean, he's very much human. It says, We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. That is, the, the physical pressure, the psychological pressure upon us, we were so pressed down. I mean, it's like, have you ever had somebody put something really heavy on, on your back and it was so heavy that you felt like your back was going to bend over, your knees were going to buckle? I mean, have you ever had a burden, not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, it was so heavy, you felt like you were going to crack? We were weighed down beyond our normal power of endurance. We didn't think we could continue living going on this way. In fact, he goes on and he says, it was so hard that we even despaired of life. He felt like death was imminent. It seemed certain. He could see no possibility of survival. No way. It's just death is going to come and I'm going to serve Jesus till he takes me home. It, I can't see any other way out of it. I mean, that would be a rough day, wouldn't it? But do you know what happened? On our worst day, on Paul's worst day, he was reminded of a desperate need for God's comfort. He said, we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. You know what God delights in doing? God delights in getting us to the end of our rope. God delights in getting us to where we're convinced we can't do it in our own strength, but that He can. Um, You know, if you've ever been in situations where you just weren't, quite sure how you were going to move on, how you were going to keep on going. Paul said, you know, I realize that there's something very, very valuable in, in the hardest of trials. 
And that was those who serve God need to learn to maintain a strong confidence in His comfort. A strong confidence in His comfort. So that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but trust in God who raises the dead. Listen to what else it says. That God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and He will deliver us, that is near term, and He on whom we have set our hope, He will yet deliver us. I mean, He looks back and He said, God has delivered me. He looks immediately to the front. He says, God is delivering me. He will deliver me. He looks as far as he can imagine the future. And he says, and God will deliver me no matter what lies between here and there. I have set my hope on him. He will yet deliver us. And those who serve God need to maintain a strong confidence in God's comfort. Trials teach us to trust in God instead of ourselves. Trials cause us to focus on God as the source of our hope that we'll be with Him for all eternity. Trials remind us that God has delivered us. He is delivering us. He will deliver us from the ultimate challenge. I mean, really, what is the worst possible thing people can imagine happening to them? Death, right? Death is the great final enemy. But what does death do to us? I mean, death, whether it's persecution like believers fleeing, leaving their homes behind and fleeing Baghdad, Iraq. Or believers in South Sudan being forced to recant their Christianity or face a sword. What's, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen if we face a terminal illness? As believers, we die and get to go be with Jesus, right? I mean, that's the ultimate deliverance. The worst that the world, the worst that life can throw at us brings us ultimate deliverance where there's no more sorrow or suffering. Like the three Hebrew children said, O Nebuchadnezzar, our God will deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow down because we're going to glorify God. We believe God can and we believe He will deliver us. But if not, He will deliver us a different way. And they were willing to face even death. The Apostle Paul, as he looked at death sitting in a Roman prison. He was reminded that he was ready to let his life be poured out as a drink offering. The time of his departure had come. He was ready to be with the Lord. And we have to have a strong confidence in God's comfort that God is able to meet our every need. Paul also reminded the believers that he had learned that those who serve God must express deep gratitude for God's comfort. Look at verse 11. I mean, if God has comforted us, should we just keep that marvelous thing to ourselves, Or should we praise the Lord? Look at what verse 7 says. Because it, it, it puts a special connection with another part of the Christian life. God will deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Now, it's got lots of different phrases there. But notice one thing. He said, God will deliver us, you also joining in helping us through prayers. So what's what's involved? Listen, we told you, please pray for us because we feel like we're getting crushed. We feel like it's just a matter before the final gavel comes down and the sentence is passed down and it's death. I mean, they, they were really up against it. And he said, we asked you to pray for us. 
and you did pray for us. And he says, you joined in helping us through prayers. And guess what? Now that God has delivered us, he says, so that thanks may be given by many people on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through those prayers. God has bestowed a gift. He's given us comfort. He's given us grace. He's maintained peace in our hearts. And He's delivered us. And all of you people who prayed to God and were a part of His answering prayer and glorifying Himself, you can now join us in thanking God for the, and praising Him for the favor He's shown. All those people who were a part of praying for it and God answered that prayer can now be a part of praising God for the way He just answered prayer. And, you know, when we have a, a fellow believer in the church and, and maybe you, you've got somebody who's just been through really difficult times and you've prayed for them and said, Lord, comfort their heart, encourage them as they face that illness or as they face that job layoff or as they face a, a really hard problem with a loved one or as they face that really hard trial and temptation at work and you've prayed for them and they, they come back and in testimony time they just say, I just want to thank God for His mercy and grace he has strengthened me and comforted me through all these difficult times. And what's our response? Thank you, Lord. And together, we join together with that one to praise God for the way He's ministered to them and to us. Paul wanted to thank God for people who were willing to pray, to be praying partners. And he wanted to help people thank God when they heard about answered prayer for that gift that had been bestowed through the prayers of many people so that they could give thanks to God. Our pastor uses a phrase, when many people are praying to God, then when God answers, many people will be praising God. And that's always a, a great thing. Last week I was reading in the book of Job in the first couple of chapters, and I read chapter 5, verse 6. It says, As sparks fly upward from the fire, so man is born to trouble. I mean, if you make a fire, you don't have to try to concoct sparks. You don't have to try to coax them upward. Just the natural byproduct of, of heat and, and all the, the burning embers, you're going to see... The, the embers and the ashes float up with the, the heat waves. And he says, it, just as sparks fly upward, so man is born to trouble. It's just, it's going to happen. We don't need to wish for trials. We don't need to seek them out. But we will still face difficult trials eventually because we live in a sinful world where there's decay and disease. We're surrounded by sinful people who commit sinful acts. We struggle with sin ourselves because we are sinners saved by God's grace but not yet fully perfect. We are saints who are called to walk in holiness. And some of us face trials more often or more deeply than others. But take just a minute and think of powerful promises that are made to you in this, in this chapter. Who is the source of all comfort? God is. He is the Father of all mercies, the God of comfort. Who is the object of comfort? We are believers. God specifically looks to minister to the deep needs of His children. And is there a reason, is there a purpose for all of that hardship in life? 
God wants to equip us to be conduits of His blessing to others. Think about those promises. And then think about some faithful examples all around you. You know, you can think of some faithful saints. Maybe you've been in this church here for many, many years. And you think of how year after year, difficulty after difficulty, trial after trial, they just keep pointed forward in loving Jesus. They just keep forward, pressing forward to serve the Lord. You know, I think all of us could look back over our lives and just recount scores of people who have just been an incredible if faithful example to us through many, many difficult things. But we need to look hard at those eternal truths. The Apostle Paul in this same book of 2 Corinthians, if you look at chapter 4, verse 15, Paul had gone through all sorts of difficult, hard times for these believers. And in chapter 4, verse 15, it said, For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Man, I, I just want to share the grace of God with others. And you keep praying and you keep sharing because then there will be more people who have been touched by the grace of God who will give thanks to Him. And he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't get discouraged and give up. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And if we believe that, if we believe that the hardest trials we can face are only just for a little while, but the, the, the comfort and blessing of the Lord will last for all eternity, that, that there are some things that can give us relief in life, there are some temporal, temporary physical material things, but spiritual blessings, spiritual comfort, spiritual grace is for this life and for all eternity. Our trials are short compared to the blessings of eternity. The trials we experience are light compared to the heavy blessings that are ours in the Lord. And when we believe that, those truths and those realities make it so that we will not faint. We can't stop hard times from coming to believers, but we can help equip believers so when hard times come, they won't faint. They won't give up. They won't get discouraged. They won't become bitter. They'll keep pressing forward and praise God for His comfort and grace. Praise God for answered prayers of His people. And they will keep on pressing forward to serve the Lord Jesus. I, I can't promise a comfortable life. No one can. But I can promise you that God's comfort is real and personal and powerful. We should be praying toward that end for each other. And we should cling to the lasting, powerful comfort and grace of God so we can glorify Him and serve Him faithfully. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your mercy, for Your comfort. Lord, I, I don't know what each and every person here has faced in recent weeks or months, 
I certainly don't know what any of us, including me, will face in the coming weeks and months or years. But You do know, Lord. You know that You allow trials to come into our life so that we might be like gold tested in a furnace, purified, the the dross purged off, and us being more pure and valuable to reflect Your glory and grace. Lord, You know that we are weak and we struggle. We can get discouraged. We can become bitter. And Lord, we pray that You'd spare us from that and help us to know that You've already given a mechanism to minister to us during those hard times. And that is to know Your personal, powerful promise of comfort and grace. Lord, I, I, I ask that You'd help us to pray for that. And I, I ask that You'd help us to remember that when we go through things, it's not just about our comfort, but it's about us being equipped to help comfort others, to point them to the peace and comfort You've given us. And Father, I pray that You'd help us to rejoice with others who've prayed for us so Your grace and comfort would be magnified. Lord, we love You. We thank You. And pray You'd help us to serve You faithfully. In Jesus' name. Amen.